Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen. What's that? That's right. And it's going to be very brief today. And I'll tell you why. Today is just an introduction to Proverbs. And the fact of the matter is, normally an introduction to a new book would be, well, I'd have a tough time getting it done in 45 minutes, to be honest with you. But it's going to be shorter than that today. Are you with me? Do I have any cheers? Hooray! The reason is, there's a very specific reason for this. Next week, this series is going to be interrupted. And I want you all to be here. I want everyone to be here, if possible. Next week, we are going to have Missions Sunday. Isn't that right, Phyllis? Yes. I'm How I've just drawn a blank on your name, I don't know. I've, that, I've done that with my own wife, you know. I have. Yeah. Hey, this is uh, my wife. Uh, scary, scary. Anyway, so <laughs> next week is Missions Sunday. And a number of the, not all of them, we're going to have more than one Missions Sunday, but next week is the first one. These are worthwhile organizations that we support financially. We support with prayers. We support by volunteering. And I really want to hear, I want you to hear what they have to say. Because a portion of what you give to Shiloh goes to them. And I want you to know why. It's good work. It is the Lord's work. And that's why we support it. So that's why today is going to be brief. Today is really just going to be perhaps the briefest sermon you've heard from me in a very long time. And it's such a beautiful day. I know that you're supporting me in this cause. So, intro to Proverbs. Wisdom and skillful living. That's kind of what Proverbs is all about. Proverbs is a very practical book. It was written in somewhere in the vicinity of the 900s BC. If you can do math, and I'm reasonably certain you can, that means it's somewhere between 2,900 and 3,000 years old. Think about that. Ancient wisdom. And it's not just ancient wisdom. There are ancient wisdom books written from, in cultures all around the world going back well, nearly to the beginning of recorded time. And the fact is that this wisdom book is, well, quite different. Do you know why? Because this wisdom book comes from God. Yes, he used human authors. In fact, the human author in this particular case is ascribed to Solomon. Now, before I get ahead of myself... Let's just get into it, because I have on the slides today some of what I'm about to tell you. What is a proverb? The word proverb comes from a verb meaning to be like, to be compared with, to be parallel, to be similar. Hence, a proverb is simply a form of communicating truth by using 
comparisons or figures of speech. I think it was Cervantes that said something to the effect of uh, a proverb is something that is short on words but long on experience. It is condensed. We use proverbs. Every culture throughout history, so far as we know, has used proverbs. They're, They're also known as axioms or maxims or figures of speech. Um, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. A penny saved is a penny earned, and so forth. You get the idea. These proverbs are different in that they're from God, and which is why 3,000 years later, wise men still read them daily. Next slide. What is wisdom? The reason I bring this up, as you can see, wisdom is, if you want to look at what Proverbs, the primary theme of Proverbs, is wisdom. And it is practical wisdom that is also godly wisdom. Again, let me say that again. It is practical wisdom that is also godly wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the theme that weaves throughout the book. The main Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. It was used commonly to describe the skill of craftsmen, sailors, singers, administrators, and counselors. Hokmah pointed to the experience and efficiency of these various workers in using their skills. I sometimes, when I have pulled into a gasoline station in my secular job, for whatever reason, someone will come over after my maneuvering into place and they say, Wow, I just can't believe how you guys get those giant trucks in these little places. Pastor Jim does that too. And so does Andy. Yes, Andy does that too. Maybe there are some others here, I'm not sure. Yes, of course. John Anderson also. Pardon? Oh, yes, of course, Gino. So we got a bunch of truck drivers in here. All right. Well, remember, truck drivers, safety is no accident. Safety is of the Lord. Amen. So that was just throwing out another proverb. (laughs) And a Bible verse, that's right. A hokmah pointed to various workers using their skills. Similarly, a person who possesses hokmah in his spiritual life and relationship to God is one who is both knowledgeable and experienced in following God's way. Biblical wisdom essentially involves skill in the art of what? Godly living. Godly living. I stole, I mean borrowed this from a navigator's Bible study on the book of Proverbs. The credit is there on the screen, even if you print is too small for you to see it, but I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Now, let's go back to the story here before we read that. Who wrote this? Well, Solomon, well, we'll read about this in a minute, but Solomon is, in fact, the the name of the book in Hebrew translated means the Proverbs of Solomon. And so this is just a little bit of backstory, and I'm using the New Living Translation today, and there is a reason for that. 
The New Living Translation isn't one that I've typically used in here in preaching, but the New Living Translation is sort of a dynamic equivalent. It's almost on the verge of being a paraphrase. But it is designed specifically for the purpose of being very understandable. It brings out a lot of the, it does a lot of the interpretation for you. So, and I brought my NLT study Bible. It is one of my favorites, and I have a number of them. My wife will tell you I have lots and lots. I love study Bibles. My very first study Bible back in 1993 was an NIV study Bible. It was a revelation to me. If you do not have a study Bible, I encourage you to get one. If you're wondering which ones to get, well, I can talk with you for a few minutes, and I can help you. But I happen to like, you can get the Life Application Study Bible, which is very good, in a number of different translations. Why do I bring this up? Why am I pointing out this? The reason I'm pointing this out is because wisdom, God's wisdom, comes from the Word of God. You understand? God's wisdom comes from the Bible. God is the source of wisdom, and he has given us his word. And I want to make sure that you understand that the single most important discipline that you can hone, can spend time in doing in order to grow in wisdom and the knowledge of God is reading his word. And so I bring this up because I know that a number of people, genuine Christians, sometimes have difficulty disciplining themselves to be in the Word of God on a daily basis. So I want to remind you that there's a way to make it easier, and I used to mention this more frequently, and I'm going to mention it again today. If you have a hard time disciplining yourself to read the Bible yourself, I recommend you get yourself a Bible buddy. In the Army, we had a thing called a battle buddy. And a battle buddy was somebody we trained with, who we knew, who we got to know, because we spent time practicing doing war, if you will, playing war games. We called them maneuvers, called it bivouac, we called it all kinds of different things. And we spent a lot of time in the Army playing war. Quite frankly, it was fun. I learned a lot. It's been so long I've forgotten pretty much everything I ever knew about that, those skill sets. Uh, we have some veterans in here, including Martha back there, shaking her head. Yeah. And uh, there's, a, there's discipline. And just as the battle buddy who you train with can help you become considerably better at skills that could mean life or death, the Bible buddy, the one who helps to hold you accountable. I'm not telling you that you got to do deep Bible study every day. That's not what I'm saying. A Bible buddy is somebody who you can call on the phone, or maybe somebody that lives in your own house, somebody you can get together with, who you can spend time literally reading, each of you with your own Bibles, reading the Bible to each other. There's power in that, and I encourage you to do that. And if you don't have a Bible buddy, you need a Bible buddy, or any of you who are willing to become a Bible buddy for someone else in this fellowship, let me know. You can email me. You can text me. You can send a message to the website. You can call me. 
coming up with an old Reba McIntyre song in my head for some reason about excuses for not letting us know. But I want you to know that, okay? There's help, and I understand. All right, let's get into it. Some backstory about Solomon. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge, as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. That's pretty excessive. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite and the sons of Mahol, Heman, Calcol, and Darda. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing those correctly. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and, some, and wrote a hundred, excuse me, 1,005 songs. Can you imagine how prolific this man was? He was very, very wise. Unfortunately, toward the end of his life, he didn't stay that way, which kind of blows my mind. But anyway, we won't get into that today. So that's the backstory, because when God asked Solomon what he wanted, Solomon said wisdom, and God honored that, because he didn't ask for riches or long life or any number of other things. He asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. You know that you can do the same thing. You know, Bible, the Bible says what? It says that he who lacks wisdom can ask God, and he will give well, I'm paraphrasing, but he will give you wisdom if you ask. And he has given us wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Do you know that there are Proverbs not just in the book of Proverbs? There's 300-some-odd Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. A lot of people have the discipline have, or have used it at one point or another or continue to do it in their daily Bible reading, read a chapter of Proverbs. If you haven't been doing that, I encourage you to do so. God has set it up so that whoever put the, the chapters and verses in the Bible came up with 31 chapters for the book of Proverbs. 31 days in a month, so even in, in the longest months. So in the longest months, you can read a chapter of Proverbs, no matter what, for whatever corresponds to that day. What's the date today? Do we know? The 23rd. So today, if you haven't read your chapter of Proverbs, all you've got to do is read chapter 23 in Proverbs, if you want to do that today. You want to start tomorrow, you start in 24. That's simple. Let's move on. Verse 33. Speaking of Solomon, he could speak with authority about all kinds of plants from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. So great was this God-given wisdom. This is the human author, God, the divine author of the book of Proverbs. Now, Solomon didn't always... He didn't write necessarily all of these Proverbs. Solomon also collected wise sayings, another definition of Proverbs, from elsewhere. So all 3,000 of Solomon's Proverbs that he spoke obviously are not in here. 
There are other Proverbs in other books of the Bible, not just in Proverbs. There are wisdom psalms, uh, 111 and 112, if I recall correctly. There are others. So, let's get into the first seven verses of Proverbs. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Part of the reason I chose the NLT is I don't need to explain this to you, I don't believe. It kind of does the interpretation for me. If there are any questions on any of this stuff, because I am genuinely seeking to make this brief today, you can ask me. You can get a hold of me any way you like. Um, but what is their purpose? To teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. We're going to talk a little bit, uh, not much, but a little bit, um, the next time we get together about how proverbs is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry where we're used to having a certain meter to it and a certain, and the words always have to rhyme. Hebrew poetry follows some different dynamics, and we'll get into that a bit the next time we're on this. But there are uh, contrastive proverbs, there are completive proverbs, um, there are, well, we'll get into it next time. I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail and run too long. But you'll see, you're seeing examples of this here. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now I mentioned contrastive proverbs. Proverbs, most of these proverbs are in couplets. They're essentially two statements. One follows the other. Sometimes they're, com they're completive or completive is another way to pronounce it, meaning that they, in fact, uh, fill the concept, if you will, by showing uh, one, the second statement sort of completes the first statement or fills in some blank in the first statement. It fills up the picture. This, however, is a contrastive couplet. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and knowledge. Now, a lot of people think that a fool is somebody that's just not smart. That's not how Scripture refers to it. They're not smart concerning spiritual things. There are brilliant people today who I will not name because I'm not sure I can remember their names at the moment. Neil deGrasse Tyson is one, an avowed atheist. He's a brilliant scientist. There have been others throughout history. 
declares there is no evidence of God. The Bible says, he who says there is no God is a fool. He is a fool who says no God. He is a fool that says there is no God, but you could also translate that same verse as, he is a fool who says no to God. It could be translated that way. At least I think it could. So the definition of a fool is one who refuses to accept the wisdom of God, who chooses by one way or another to not do it. They refuses the wisdom and the discipline. So, we've covered the first seven verses already. We're almost done. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. I want to show you some examples from Scripture of the fear of God. We're not going to get deep into them. Just, these are just examples from Scripture. From Exodus chapter 20. The same chapter, right after Moses has delivered the Ten Commandments that he got from God to the people. Okay, It says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. Wouldn't you? In the ancient world, you're seeing Moses come down from the mountain and boom, 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 God makes this great display on the mountain, showing his power. You know, for unbelievers, fear, trembling, runaway kind of fear, is as it should be. I think it was one of the Wesleys that wrote a book called, or something to the effect of, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. If you are an unbeliever and refuse to accept the debt paid for you for your sin so that you don't have to face the eternal punishment in the fires of hell, which is the wrath of God. Jesus took the wrath of God for you, by the way. If you are an unbeliever who refuses to accept that, you have every reason to have the kind of fear that makes you run away from God. By the way, do you think running away from God is effective? Do you think it helps? Do you think God can't reach you if you run away? He can. But the fear for believers is different. It is an awe. It is a reverence. Because we know that God loves us, that he has... Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And those of us in Christ do not need to fear the wrath of God. But we do need to have an awe and a reverence for him because God is also our righteous judge. He says that he can see all, he knows all, and uh, you know, not a sparrow falls from the sky, but he knows about it. There's nothing he does not know. And he is going to hold us accountable. Now, it's a different kind of judgment. It isn't for, toward eternal judgment, but he is holding us accountable. So let's move on. Verse 19, And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. I want to get into the story a little bit about this type of fear and why they had it. You know, the golden calf and all that kind of stuff. 
But listen, this is an example of the fear of, of the Lord. The Lord. This is the title for the covenant keeper, God. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Moses says. <laughs> How many times have you heard that in the Bible? Don't be afraid or fear not. Okay? Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. This is a healthy... Okay, I'm going to go back to the days I was drinking. Way back when, coming 20 years ago, more than that. My wife, I used to fear my wife catching me with alcohol on my breath. I thought I could fool her. So I would try to stay away or do whatever I could to try to hide it from her because, and breath mints and you visine and all kinds of goofy, crazy things to try to hide it. I wasn't fooling her a bit. I wasn't fooling anybody else either. I was only fooling me. Well, that fear wasn't that I was actually afraid that my wife was going to harm me. Although sometimes I thought she might kick me out. And she'd have had good reason for that. But here's the thing. And this is an example of the type of fear that we are supposed to have of our Lord and Savior, of our Lord God, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, is I didn't want to disappoint her again. It hurt me to hurt her. And it hurt her because she could see I was hurting myself. And I was essentially trapped. And I lived in fear of hurting her feelings and damaging our relationship. This is an example, if you will, of the type of fear we should have. A God who knows all things, who loves you. And if you love him, do you really want to do that with your fellowship with him? Really? So this is a healthy thing to keep you from sinning. Verse 21, as the people stood in the distance... Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Moses had a healthy fear of God, a healthy reverence for God, an awe of God. But his reverence and fear and awe, if you will, did not make him run away from God. It made him go toward God. That's what we're supposed to have. Another example, Joshua 2, verses 9 and 11, that you could read this entire passage, it'll shed more light. But in the interest of trying to get done early, I'm just going to point out these two verses. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. Who is this? This is Rahab the prostitute. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror because they had heard the stories of how the Israelites had conquered other peoples. God had given them victory. Awesome victory. And so, your fear of God, your obedience to God, and God doing great and wonderful things for you 
can and will cause fear in others. We often see it manifested in this modern society as rejection or people feeling uncomfortable. There, I can tell you that there are people wherever I have worked in my secular work that are uncomfortable around me. They might normally speak and they don't speak. There are others that doesn't seem to bother them at all and they use their normal language. But there are some who are silenced because they know I'm a believer and so they'll watch their language. God uses that. God uses your love for him, your fear of him, your testimony to affect other people, even when you don't realize it, even when you don't know. Verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab the prostitute is saying this. Now we go to Job, another example. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, not sinless, blameless. A man of complete integrity. He feared God and what? Stayed away from evil. That's what the fear of God does. Keeps you away from evil. Why? Because you love him. You don't want to hurt him. Because you recognize he knows you're not going to be able to hide it from him. Adam and Eve ran and hid from God in the garden as if God didn't know. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Verse 4, Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. Verse 5, when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days... Job would purify his children. Why? How did he purify his children? We'll get into the next verse in a minute. But why would he do this? Let's read it. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. This was the way it was done in that time. A burnt offering, why? It's a temporary payment for potential sins. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts because they'd been feasting for several days. This was Job's regular practice. He loved his children and he loved God. And this was a means, much as you might, might pray for your children or other people you love, this was a way of Job protecting his children from the wrath of God, of trying to maintain the fellowship and the relationship between God and himself and between God and his children. Why? A healthy fear of God. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord! How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commandments. See how that, those two go together? Fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commandments. That's a picture of what the Bible speaks of, fear of the Lord. 
And finally, how joyful are those who fear the Lord? Joyful, joyful who fear the Lord. All who follow his ways. Like Pastor Jim said, safety, pardon, is of the Lord. Joyful because you are safe in Christ. Okay. That is all we're going to do. That is our teaser for the week. I want to close with this thought, this question for you. Do you know, are you aware that you can cultivate your fear of the Lord? Your love of the Lord? Are you aware that you, if the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, how do you delight yourself in the Lord? You spend time with Him. How do you fear the Lord? You get to know Him. How do you get to know Him? Go back to number one. You spend time with Him in His Word in songs, hymns of praise, in fellowship with his people, in Bible study groups, in other activities that you know are, that the Lord approves of, that he wants. That's how you delight yourself in the Lord and follow his ways. I want you to know that that's what church is all about. That's what your church family is about. That's what Bible study is all about. That's what you're spending time. Now, I'm not telling you to isolate yourself. It is wrong. Do not isolate yourself entirely from the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We cannot take our light and hide it under a bushel by staying away from the rest of the world. If you do not associate with people who are not saved, how are you ever going to tell anybody about Jesus? How is anybody ever going to know that there is eternal life for them? So that's not what I'm saying. I am saying, walk in the ways of the Lord. Walk in fellowship with the Lord. Fear the Lord by the way you think, speak, and act. And God will go before you and open up pathways and present opportunities for you to share Jesus. Okay? Are you all with me? You ready for me to shut up yet? Andy says, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's close in prayer and sing our final hymn. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are grateful that you first loved us. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the many, many blessings, but we thank you first and foremost for our salvation in Christ. Father, Christ himself, we know, was the very embodiment of wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this series, that you would bless us, that you would bless the people of Shiloh with a healthy, fruitful fear of God. People who delight in walking in your ways, who delight ourselves in you. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.